The following audio is from a sermon series from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 7, 17-24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City Church. If this is your first time here, I do want to thank you for joining us and worshiping with us today. My name is Justin. I'm a pastor here. And uh, we are studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We're working verse by verse through that book. We are not quite halfway yet. We're in the middle of chapter 7. And we're going to be covering uh, verses 17 through 24 today. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to be Uh, I'm just getting used to saying this because if you preach through books of the Bible, you just have to deal with things that most people don't deal with. So, um, and you, and I'll be honest, a preacher who doesn't have to preach on things like I preached last week and like I'm preaching this week, won't preach on things. It's like, if I could preach on, you know, uh, you know, some kind of happy verse, I'm going to preach on happy verses week in at week out and, uh, easy verses. I'm going to preach on the easy verse. I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid the harder verses. Well, this is kind of a harder text. So I, Many of us have probably never heard it preached, okay? And I'm going to tell you, I think there's something integral in this text that many of us, if not all of us, are missing in an understanding of our faith, in an understanding of, listen, what Jesus actually did, what God actually did in the death, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for us, what actually happened, um, and our, listen, here, here's the word, our identity Who we are, at the core of our being, there's something integral in this text that I doubt any of us have really studied, have even heard, and I I think most churches would would stay away from, and I think it's um, to the detriment of our faith, the detriment of understanding of our faith, understanding what God has done, who he is, and who we are. So it's my attempt this morning to dig into this, see what the Spirit would have for us, that all Scripture is profitable for us, and we're going to study in it. We're going to study it today. We're going to dig it. I hope you've got your uh, Bibles or your apps or your, you know, all that, all that fun tech, techie stuff. Open it up, 1 Corinthians 7. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in this morning. Father, you are a good God who is not like us. You are glorious. You are above all things. You are more weighty, more valuable. You are perfect. You are holy. You are magnificent. And we worship you. Thank you for calling us and drawing us into your presence this morning. Sinful people that we are, with half-hearted affections, with 
broken desires, with bent thoughts. Uh, you still call us into yourself and call us into worship this morning. And, and we thank you for it. Thank you for beckoning us and calling us from the west, the east, the north, the south, and bringing us here to hear your word. Now, that we are here. And Father, we've appropriately kind of pushed, put ourselves under you and confessed our fallenness and confessed our sin and professed our faith in your perfection and your goodness and your rightness. Would you breathe over us? Would you speak to us? Oh God of all the earth, would you speak to us through your divinely inspired word? Would you use me to communicate truth? Would you use every part of me? Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords? Father, would you hear uh, through our ears this morning so that anything that I say that's wrong, that we wouldn't even hear it. It would just go away. That anything that's of my flesh would, be, would fall on deaf ears this morning, but everything of your spirit would produce fruit. We ask all this, God, for your glory, that you would have a people here who would glorify your name and that we would be a people who enjoy you to the fullest. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. At the end of World War II, C.S. Lewis gave a speech at the University of London, King's College, called The Inner Ring. I encourage you to Google it and read it. Not right now, uh, but you can do that later. It's profound. It's very meaningful to me. And in this address, Lewis says that one of the core motivations of human beings is a desire to be inside the inner ring. Okay, what is the inner ring? It's inside the little circles of power in our society or any society. And we will do whatever it takes to get inside these little inner rings, these little circles of power. We have a need to feel like we're on the inside of some group that we admire, some group that we can't live, uh, we can't live with ourselves if we're not in a group. In high school, it's my experience, some people go out for football not because they're any good at it or they love the sport, but because they want to be in the inner ring of football players, right? Now, this truth kind of really struck me a few years ago when someone in the church uh, gave me, this is just a great example of how you love your pastor, gave me a Harley Davidson, Okay? I had never had a motorcycle. My wife wouldn't let me have a motorcycle, nor would my mother. But when God gives you a motorcycle, right? Don't argue with the spirit here. So someone gave me a Harley, and I'd never owned a Harley, other than when I was 14. I think when I was 14, I got a moped. Does that count? I don't know if that counts. I'd go 28 when I'm going like this, right? Uh, so I get this Harley, and I'd never been on a Harley before, never drove a Harley. And, but when I got it and I took it for my first ride, I realized my life will never be the same again. It was so like, I, my eyes were open to a new reality. I'm on this thing and you know, it's just, you feel like a man as soon as you get on the thing. And I'm, but I'm riding it and all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, I'm driving, I'm looking around and all of a sudden every motorcycle rider I pass gives me one of these, gives me one of these. Gives me the finger on the finger on the handlebars. Every single motor, like I'm like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> like you know right away that you are on the inner ring 
of motorcycle drivers and everyone who doesn't have a Harley. Doesn't, that, little, that little thing, they're like, they, they give you this, but you don't give that to them. Like, everybody who doesn't have a Harley, they're on the outside of the inner ring of Harley-Davidson motorcycle owners. If you've ever been on one, you know it. You know the feeling. Immediately, you're accepted by everybody that has a Harley. It's crazy. Now, Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says, everyone dreams about being inside some inner ring. That's one of our core motivations as humans. And everyone's inner ring probably looks a little different. Like it might be a corporate inner ring of partners and CEOs. You're, you're kind of outside it. You're almost there and you're looking in and you're like, oh, if only when I get in that group, it might be a professional ring of actors or athletes or authors. You're on the outside of it, right? You got three subscribers on your blog and you're thinking about being a published author and like when you get there, it might be the inner ring of the, maybe it's this, ladies, the perfectly put together stay-at-home mom, right? With the well-dressed kids and the sparkling minivan and the family who has been perfectly deglutinized, right? <laughs> maybe that's it. Doesn't matter if you are in grade school or you're retired. It doesn't matter what level of an organization you're at. Everyone wants to be inside some group. Now, it's interesting. If you've, ever, if you've seen the, uh, the, mo- the movie uh, Lone Survivor, and some people watch that movie. I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I'm one of them. I watch that movie. I'm shocked. I'm horrified. I'm scared out of my pants. Like I'm just like, oh my goodness. That's like a horrific end to a life, right? And, but some people watch that. Many people watch that, and they go, that's hot. That's hot. That's how I want to go out. And I'm like, what? I know. No, 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 no. And now what is it? What is it? What is it, put, what is it that pushes people to be Navy SEALs? What is it that pushes people to be firemen or per, people to be police officers or people to go in the army? Most of the time, it's not, honestly, like if you get down to it, most of it's not like I just really am excited about dying for my country, right? Most of the time, it's the desire to be in the inner ring, to be called a Navy SEAL. Right? I'm not too excited about actually maybe doing it. I'm excited about the thought of actually had done it. And now I get to be a Navy I'm, I'm always a Navy SEAL for the rest of my life. It's the inner ring of military service. Now, Lewis says that this desire, this desire that's in us to be inside the inner ring is actually what makes our life miserable. Because we feel like if I can just get on the inside of this group of people that I really like and I really respect, then I will know who I am. If I can just get in there, then I'll have an identity. Then I'll have a meaning. Then I'll have a purpose. Then I'll know that I am somebody. So we do whatever it takes to get inside. We do whatever it takes to earn our way into the inner ring. And what usually happens is we dislike the people who are outside the group. We look down on them and we envy those who are inside the group. Oh, if I just had that, if I could just get in with them. We dislike those outside the group. We envy those inside the group. Now, 
everyone wants to be in the inner ring and we all think to ourselves, I won't be happy until I get into that inner ring. It just, I just can't be. I, I can't be happy until I get in the inner ring. And then once I get in the inner ring, then I'll finally be happy. I, what it naturally does is it causes me to despise where I'm at in my life right now. I despise where I am in my life and I see the inner ring is my redemption. The inner ring is my way out. I hate where I'm at currently hate the current reality of my life. And that inner ring is my redemption. It's my way out. Now, I think every person in this room struggles with that to some degree or another. You daydream about a different job. You daydream about a different spouse, a different house, a different group of friends. And Paul is going to speak to us today, and I think he's going to help us. And I believe that he might just set us free what I think is actually slavery. This inner ring mentality is actually a slavery of the mind, a slavery of a spiritual nature, a spiritual sort. We're enslaved to it. Now let's look in chapter 7 at verse 17. Look what Paul says here. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now, things are about to get deep here. About to swim out in some deep water. Let's read that again. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord, that's Jesus, that word Lord means master, means owner, the Lord has, look at this word, assigned to him, and to which God has called him. There's three big words there that we need to study. We need to underline, you need to circle the Lord, you need to circle or you need to underline assigned, and you need to circle or you need to underline, you need to highlight called, right? Those are big words, One Lord, that's Jesus. That word means master or owner. Okay? Second, assigned, third, called. Three big words. Jesus, Paul is writing to believers, right? Two followers of Jesus Christ, and he says this. Jesus is your master. Jesus is your Lord. We're going to talk about more of that in a little bit, but this is the big part. He has assigned a life for his followers. He has assigned a life for his followers. He has called us now to live out this life. Think about that. Think about that right now. See, usually when I say words like God is sovereign, that just kind of goes over people's head. That means he's big. No, that means more than he's big. Jesus Christ here our Lord and Master has assigned to believers their life that they're to live, and he's called them to it. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ set the date of your birth. Jesus Christ determined the parents you would have. Jesus Christ assigned to you, excuse me, the location of our birth. City, state, continent. 
Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord over all creation, has assigned to us the color of our skin, the cultural context in which we would be raised, the education that that we would receive, and even the current station of life that you find yourself in. You have been assigned to it. God wrote the when, where, what, how, why of your life. And God has called you, listen, to lead the life that he has assigned to you. Now I get a ton of peace from this truth. See, God has not called me to be the guys that I see in the inner ring, right? God has not called me to be Tim Keller or Matt Chandler or Billy Graham. He's called me to be Justin Dean. He's assigned me to this life and he's called me to embrace the life that he has given me and to live it out to the best of my ability. When I get to heaven, I'll be judged on how well I live my life, how well I accomplish what God called me to accomplish, not what he's called you or anybody else. Now I'm gonna ask you, How are you doing at living the life that God has called you to, that God has assigned to you? Oh, I love, I'm going to, you know what? I'm feeling a little boldness this morning. I'm feeling it. I love preaching this kind of stuff to Americans. (laughs) Assigned to you. God controls everything. He's absolutely sovereign. Does your choices matter? Yes, but he's bigger and above and beyond and inside your choices. He Are you predestined? Absolutely. He's eternal. He's omniscient. He's in control of all things. But does he allow you to make choices? Yeah, he does. But he he determines our end through our choices. Everything. If you're divorced right now, that was assigned to you. If you're married right now, that was assigned to you. If you're single right now, that was assigned to you. If you're educated right now, that was assigned to you. If you're poor right now, that was assigned to you. If you're wealthy right now, that's assigned to you. Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord of the universe. You don't see this any better than when you look at, in the New Testament, you look at guys like Judas, right? Go do, go do what you're gonna do, Right? I never lost a single one that the father gave me, but this Judas cat, he's been with me the whole time, but the father didn't give him to me and he's been, he's been planning to deny me and turn me over and go do it. Go do it. Go do what your master Satan says to do. Go do it. Assigned to us. Do you know how to live the life that God has assigned to you? Are you living the life God has assigned to you? Do you know how to be you? Can you just be you or do you spend most of your time looking at and and envying those in the inner ring, somewhere else, someone that has a better life than you in your estimation and you're envying them and you're trying to be like them? God hasn't called you to live their life. Listen, do you know how frustrating and how exhausting it is to try to live somebody else's life? spending all of your emotions and energy trying to get inside some inner ring of people that you think are successful? New York Times article a few years back talked about actors and how uh, in New York City, most of them, you know, they're, 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 
they're successful on the weekend, right? They're, they're in big plays and they're big all this. And then they're waiting tables the rest of the week. It talks about, but the ones who make it, the ones who get successful, the ones who they spent their whole life saying, dreaming about when I get there, when I get there, when I get there. The ones that actually get there are the ones who are the most miserable people on the planet. Because they dreamed their whole life. Once I get in the inner ring, I'll be happy. Once I get in the ring, everybody will look up to me and respect me and I'll have all this honor and accolades. And then they get there and they realize that there's another inner ring. They got there and then there's, oh, there's another one. And they're never satisfied and they're never happy. They never feel complete. So this is what we're going to see today. If you really want to live the life God has called you to live, you're going to have to see that, listen, this desire that's in us, this desire to be in an inner ring that drives us that drives us to seek out this group of people that finally would tell us that we're somebody, this desire for an inner ring is actually, listen, spiritual slavery. Spiritual slavery. Now, what I'm saying is you're going to live for something. You, you can be an atheist, right? It doesn't matter if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're agnostic. It doesn't matter what, who you are or where you are. Listen, you are a spiritual person at your core. And listen, let me explain this. You are going to live for something. There's going to be something in your life that basically makes you, you your life feel like it's meaningful and it makes you feel like you're worthwhile. But what you don't seem to know, whatever that thing is, Whatever it is in your life that makes you feel meaningful, makes you feel like a person, that thing is actually your spiritual master. It's controlling you. You think it's doing something good for you, and it's doing something for you, but what happens is you have, you have offered yourself to it. You've offered yourself. You've laid yourself on its altar. You've given yourself. You're under its control. You're being controlled by it. It's a spiritual master. Now, look, look, this, uh, let's break it down. This is what it looks like. You, sometime in your life, maybe right now, maybe 10 years ago, maybe when you're a kid, you feel weak, you feel afraid, you feel inadequate. You do a quick little self-assessment of your current reality, right? You know, and then you have this thing inside your head or in your heart, wherever you want to say it, in your soul, in your spirit, wherever you want to say it, that says, Okay, I feel, you do this assessment, I feel weak, powerless, afraid, inadequate. And then you have this thing that says, and that's not okay. It's not okay to be weak or afraid. The weak get trampled by the strong, right? So what do we do? We find an inner ring of power that will deliver us from this weakness. We find an inner ring and we say, okay, I feel weak and powerless. If I get in there, I will no longer, I will be strong and powerful, right? Once I'm there, I won't feel like an unsuccessful weakling. I won't feel afraid. Once I get in there, maybe that's marriage, I feel ugly, I feel broken, I feel used, I feel worthless. Once I'm married, everything will be better. Once I'm in the inner ring, all of those soul wounds will be healed. So what happens? We do a self-assessment. 
We're weak, we're broken. We say to ourselves, it's not okay to be weak and broken. Okay, there's the inner ring. Once I'm there, once I get into that circle, I'll be better. So what do we do? We work. We get the education. We get the money. We get the neighborhood. We get the accolades and the attaboys. But then you realize something. See, here it is. You worked yourself into the inner ring. And listen, this inner ring, it can be education, right? It could be the the, the elites in academia, or it could be the stinking Twilight Club, right? But whatever it is, Twilight's easy. All you got to do is what? Dress black and love a vampire or something? That's all you have to do, right? Read a book, really bad book. (laughs) Sorry. Right? But there's inner rings. These inner rings are everywhere. So this is the deal. We look, we say, okay, what do I got to do to get there? I'm going to work really hard. And I'm going to get there, right? The education, I'm going to do what I do, got to do to get in. But here's the problem. What you, do, what you find out is when you get in the inner ring, and many of you haven't got in yet, and, and you're still fighting to get in. When you get your degree, when you get the guy, when you get the money, when you get the car, when you get the whatever it is, you're still working hard. I hope, I, I hope you will believe me even though you're still working to get in because those of us who have gotten into whatever inner ring it is, you realize that the inner ring is a revolving door. It's not permanent. You don't just stay in. Right? You have to work hard to stay in. So at first you were saying to yourself, what do I do to get in? And now you have to constantly every day of your life say, what do I have to do to stay in? You have to keep performing. Your sales have to keep rising. Your performances have to get better and better. Or you know that the inner ring, the revolving door of the inner ring, you'll be out and somebody else will be in you will be replaced. See? That's slavery. It's inner ring slavery. It looks like this. Do this if you want in. Do this and you'll get in. Then you work and you sacrifice and you get in and then it's morphed into do this and this and this and this and this and you'll stay in. See, that's slavery. More work, more work, more work. It takes more and more effort, more and more performance, more and more accolades and achievement to stay in the inner ring. That's slavery. You'll never be able to rest. You'll never be comfortable in just being you. You're constantly trying to earn or trying to keep your spot on the inside. It's exhausting. What Paul knows, this is true everywhere. This is true if you're talking about sports, you got to keep your spot on the team. This is true if you're talking about on the stage, you got to keep your performances up. This is true in academia. This is true in the in, in corporate world. You got to keep your sales up, performances up. But what Paul knows is this is even more true, listen to this, inside a religious institution. Inside church. In in fact, it can be actually the most ensnaring and the most enslaving and the most deadly inside a church. Look at verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call, okay, so we already hear called, 
We've seen the word call twice, called and called twice now. Already circumcised. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Okay. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Okay, now what the heck is he talking about here? Listen, circumcision was a sign and a seal of God's covenant with the Israelites in the Old Testament. God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. One day I'm going to make you into a great nation. One day I'm going to save you. One day I'm going to send a deliverer to you. What I, and one day I'm going to cut away the heart of stone that's in you and give you a new heart of flesh. And to signify that, to seal that, I want you to cut off the foreskins of your children on the eighth day. All right? It was a sign and a seal of the covenant. It was never meant to be a way in with God. Now listen. When a Jew... At this time, the New Testament here, when a Jew came to believe in Jesus Christ, it was a sign. Listen, when a person embraced Jesus Christ by faith, it was God fulfilling the covenant that he made with the forefathers through circumcision. It was Jesus Christ, God the Father, cutting away the sinful heart and giving him a new heart of flesh. But it was never meant, circumcision was never meant to be a marker of being in God's inner ring, okay? In the Old Testament, you had circumcised people that died and went to hell, right? You had circumcised people that were not elect, that God did not love and choose. Read Romans chapter nine if you don't believe me, okay? I don't have time to go on that today. Listen, so what's going on here in the church? Jews were getting saved. They're circumcised. Some Jews were going, this doesn't mean anything. Let's, this is weird. Let's reverse the problem. I don't know how you reverse the process of circumcision, but there were actual surgical procedures to do that. So they were doing that. They thought, hey, if I'm less of a Jew, that'll make me more lovable to God. That'll be more acceptable to God. And then there was Gentiles on the outside going, you know what? Look at the Jews. Look at their, look at their history with God. God, had, you know, Abraham and all the prophets and all the, look at their history. I want in on that. I want to be circumcised too. And so they were wanting to get circumcised. What does this do? This is people trying to deal with God with outward things. This is religion, listen, as an inner ring. What do I got to do to get in good with God? See, the Corinthians and actually the Galatians were even worse. They were saying, hey, maybe circumcision will help. You want to end with God? Circumcision, that'll help you. That's the way in. Churches still do this today. Not circumcision, thankfully, hopefully. Right? Haven't been to that service before. Listen, you want in? You want in with God? Pray this prayer. Repeat it after me. It's on the screen. You want in with God? Sign this card. You want in with God? Visit these houses. Read this book. Have this quiet time. Join this group. Give this money. All of these things are outward demonstrations or outward things. If I do this, then God will. If I do this, then God will. I will get in God's inner ring if I do these things. That's religion. 
Every other religion on the face of the earth, that's what it is. Do these things, God will approve of you. Do these things, God will bless you. Do these things, God will accept you. All of these things. It's just, you know what it is? We're making sacrifices to get in so that we know, okay, you know what? I'm really insecure, but I need to know I'm on God's team. So if I give this or if I sign this or if I pray this, I get a jersey. Now I know I'm on God's team. Anytime someone says, are you on God's team? Yes, I'm on God's team. I'm circumcised. Yes, I'm on God's team. I give my money. Yes, I'm sir. I'm in a missional community. Yes, I prayed the prayer. Outward things. What does say? Paul say in verse 19? Circumcision counts for nothing. Now, Paul is a Jew of Jews. And for him to say that, for him to say that circumcision counts for nothing, that is a monumental statement for a Jew to make. Why? Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul say the, the outward things that we do None of them commend us to God. None of them make us acceptable to God. He's saying, listen, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has fundamentally changed religion on the planet, has fundamentally changed human existence and the way they relate to God. Everything has changed. There is absolutely nothing that a person can do to make them outwardly acceptable to God. In this, right now we're in this chapter, he's saying, were you single? Then stay single, that's fine. You don't have to get married. Are you married? That's fine, stay married. You don't have to get divorced if you're married to an unbeliever. Are you divorced? Okay, stay single. Oh, did they bounce on you? Okay, then if they bounce on you, then you can get married. Like, he's saying, how are you? Are you circumcised? Okay, are you uncircumcised? Okay. Listen, Religion, no, no. Christianity is not about your social status. Where you're at on the social spectrum. You don't have to, are you lower class income? You don't have to become middle class to be a Christian. Are you uncircumcised? You don't have to become circumcised. Are you circumcised? You don't have to become uncircumcised. It's not about what's going on in the outside of you. You don't have to move into this neighborhood. It's something that changes you internally. So, Paul's command, stay as you are. With some prefaces from the earliest cha- earlier chapters, do you want to get married? Then get married, right? Do you want to stay single? Stay single. Paul's just like, he's pulling down the scaffolding of religion. All the things that we build up to say, this is how you know you're in with God. This is how you know you're a good person. This is how you know you're on the inner ring. He's pulling those things down. Don't look at your circumcision and say you're good with God. Don't look at your tithing report and let it tell you that you're acceptable by God. Don't look at the way you serve and say, see, I know I'm a good person because I spend my Saturdays with the poor. Pulling it down, it counts for nothing. Every other religion, you get your little stars on your side, you can get your badges, right? Every other one, it's Boy Scouts. 
Every other religion is Boy Scouts. Do your little deed, get your patch, show everybody. I can start a fire, right? Like, every other religion is that. Do your deed, get your patch, show it off, feel good about yourself. I'm on the inner ring. Look. Except for Christianity. And listen, he's about, he just illustrated it with circumcision. Now, and that, which is very relevant to them. Now he's going to illustrate it a second time. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to shock us, I think. And it's going to cause us to do some exegetical work and understand some history that's going on. Right? This is what he says. Keep reading. Verse 19. No, no. Verse 20. No, no. Verse <laughs> 20. Each should remain in the condition which he was called. Oh, called again. We've seen called. Right? This calling is a big part of this section. Let's keep going. 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. Uh, but, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Now, if you don't have, we encourage, listen, I'm going to tell you, we read out of the ESV Bible because they, ESV is, I think, the best translation on the market. Um, the top scholars of our day are translating it. It's a translation that's word for word. And I'm going to tell you, if you have another translation, um, many translations, uh, how do I say this? They, they kind of wuss out on this, on this translation. Okay, they, not in ESV, but other ones. If you have something that says servant, all right, they wussed out, okay? If you have one that says bond servant, that's closer to what's going on. The word for slave is called doulos, okay, in the Greek, right? And it literally means a slave. It doesn't mean like you have a butler, okay? It means a bond servant or a slave. Now, this is what Paul says. Were you a slave when God called you? Remember the assignment. You've been assigned to live a certain life. Were you a slave when you heard the message of the gospel? Oh, don't worry about it. Now listen. Immediately, more than likely, in our 21st century Western minds, we think of the American, like, like the New World slave trade, right? When we hear slavery, we think of the American slave trade. Now, we can't do that, okay? That's taking something from our context and, and reading back into an older context. This is not, our slave trade was far different than slavery in the Greco-Roman world. Now, slavery in the first century Roman Empire, slavery was a permanent part of that culture. Listen, in America, right, it was all ethnic, right? It was based on your race, in the Greco-Roman world, slaves were all ages. They were all their genders. They were all ethnicities. They made up an important socioeconomic class in ancient Rome. Listen to this. Roughly 20% of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. That's totaling over 12 million in the first century. And the city of Corinth, Corinth was a, was a, a key route in the, in the, in the, uh, in the slave trade. They were a port city, so slaves could come in and they could be sold right there. One third of the city of Corinth were slaves. And listen to this, another third were called, were freedmen, people who had been slaves at one time, but had earned their freedom in some way or had been set free in some way. So two thirds of the people in Corinth were in slavery. To be a slave was to be in someone's possession. They owned you. You were totally subjugated to one's master in everything. Greek 
philosopher, philosopher Aristotle, listen to this, defined a slave as a human being who was considered an article of property. Someone who belonged completely to another person. This is what <laughs> Aristotle actually said. A slave is a living tool. He's a living tool. He's not a person. He has no rights. They can't get married. They can't vote. They can't own anything. He's a living tool. He's property. Ancient Rome viewed slaves the same way. Listen to this. The slave had, in principle, no rights, no legal status whatsoever. He was a piece of property owned by his master. As a result, a slave could be owned and dealt with like any other piece of property. He was at the complete mercy of his owner without rights. A slave could be sold and given away, traded, bartered for, no rights. And many people in this time, not many, some people would actually sell themselves into slavery, right? We do this, right? You go down to the car dealership, right? You get a loan, right? That's what they would do, basically. They need a loan. They can't pay it back. They want to speed up the payment process. They don't want to spend 18 years paying off this debt. So what do they do? They sell themselves as slaves to a person for two years or three years or five years. They become that person's property. Do this. Do that. There's no, there's no bartering. They are owned. They are a living tool of someone else. Now listen, can you imagine anything more damaging to a person's identity than being a slave? More scarring to a person's soul? You're owned! You don't, you have no rights! You're the bottom of the Social order. And Paul says, were you a slave? Don't worry about it. Now, I hope you understand, if you've been here for a while, that the Bible is never flippant. Right? The Bible is always very nuanced. So I, I want you to dig in and see what's actually going on here. you got to see his reasoning. Why would Paul say that? Slavery? The most probably, I would think the most defining institution to a person's identity, if, especially if you're born in slavery and you knew no other institution than being owned, that shapes a person, right? Why could he, how could he say, no big deal? But keep reading. Verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Now listen, before I, before I jump into this, is Paul condoning slavery? Absolutely not. Paul's saying it's a reality in the society, and he even gives a little concession. It's not a black and white. Are you slaves? Stay a slave then forever. No, he says, are you a slave? Don't disrupt the whole social order. You can serve Christ and be a slave. You can serve Christ and be a slave. That, that's okay. But if there's an opportunity to get free, take it, bro. Right? Like, don't cause a social uprising, right? But if there's an opportunity, take it. Now, this, let's, keep, let's read what he just said again. For he who is called, there's called again, in the Lord as a slave 
is a freedman of the Lord. Now listen, here's Paul's reasoning. Paul is saying something has happened when a person gets called by God. You want to study this? It's called effectual calling. Something has happened when a person gets called by God, called by Jesus, that this new calling completely redefines a person's existence. It's deeper than slavery. It gets inside a person and changes them more fundamental than the fact that they're in slavery. And when I say, when when we're studying this word calling, what does it mean? It's not like when I call my kids home for dinner. Javid, come home, it's dinner time. And he evaluates it. I don't know. I'm enjoying this apple tree. I'm having fun playing out here. Maybe, maybe not. Nah, maybe in a minute. In a minute, Dad. Okay. I have no power other than right, you know, other than later, right? I have no power. I have no effectual power. Like I can't make him do anything, right? That's not the way God calls people. When God calls people, it's called an effectual call. He call, it's like Lazarus. Lazarus is laying dead in a tomb, and God, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Right? He doesn't, he's not jabbing, laying there going, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Right? I'm having a good dream. I'm in heaven right now. I don't want to come forth. Mm. When God calls people, he produces the call. He pulls them forward. It's effectual. There is no, I'll think about it. Whether they're a slave or whether they're free, when God calls a person, fundamentally at the core of their being, something radically changes. And it's more determinative of their identity than their former slavery. Keep reading. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. Highlight that. If you were, this is what he's saying. Here's Paul. If you're called as a slave, you're, listen, oh my goodness. If you are a slave in the cultural context and your social order and you become a Christian, you are called by God, that calling sets you free. Not in your social order of slavery, but somewhere deep down inside, you are now free. But if you are free in your social context, when you're called, you are now a slave to Jesus Christ. What? For the one who's down here in the social order, it's exalting. For the ones who's up here in the social order, it's humbling. Did you see that last, sec- that last phrase in verse 22? How often have you heard that preached right there? Come be a slave of Jesus Christ. Joel, play, get the band going. I know some people out here want to be slaves. Come on. Slave. 
slave. And this, there's no other translation. If, when people put servant, the reason they put servant there is because they're, they, they know we have the, the, the 18th century slavery mentality. And it's not the same as that, but the word is slave. It is not servant. Servants have opinions, right? Servants bring something to the table. Servants get paid. Servants have things like, you know, they add. Like a servant, you, you I'm not going to go into that right now. Paul takes this and he makes himself even clearer in Romans chapter 6 where he says, every single person who walks this earth is a slave. You are a slave either to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. But Paul says every single person is a slave. And let's what he, this is what he clarifies it. He says, here's the, here's the deal. Here's the test. You are a slave to whom you obey. The inner ring? Does the inner ring determine your life? Does the inner ring determine how much you work? What you do with your money? How you feel about your identity? How you feel about yourself as a person? Then they're your slave. They're your slave master. Bob Dylan sang the song, right? You're going to have to serve somebody. When you're working your way into that inner ring, you are selling yourself out as a slave and they are your master. They control your self-worth. They control your schedule. They control your affections. They own you. You might think that you're free, but here's the reality. Nobody's free. Everybody serves somebody. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. This is a poignant illustration of what it means to become a Christian. To be a Christian, listen to this. To be a Christian means that Jesus Christ has stood on the auction block, called your name, from before the foundations of the earth, and he has bought you as his slave. A Christian belongs to Christ. We are part of a people for his own possession. Now that might sound terrifying to you. You mean I don't have control over my life? Listen, here's the reality. No one is truly free. Everyone has a master. Your boss, the board of directors, your spouse, your kids, the fear of failure, we are all slaves. That's the reality. But here's, here's the key. What really matters, first century slavery, current slavery, it's not are you enslaved. We're all enslaved to something. What makes the difference is who is your master. Who owns us? See, see, first century slaves, if they had a great owner, they had a pretty good life. I mean, we're talking doctors were slaves, philosophers were slaves. We had, you could do anything and still be a slave. And if you had a good owner, you had a good station in life. If you had a wicked owner, you had a horrible station, right? Slavery was there. What, what mattered, what, what changed it was who you're enslaved to. Who is your master? Who owns you? Who bought you? 
And Paul is telling these first century slaves and us, modern slaves, that when Jesus bought us, it changed our status. Listen, it changed our identity. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no, if you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave to the inner ring. You have been bought by another. You have a new owner. We are no longer enslaved to power and wealth and prestige. We are no longer enslaved to cleaning the outside of the cup and trying to do all these different things to impress God and to get in God's inner ring. We've been bought. We have a different master now. And that, if you don't get that, listen, I'm gonna, hopefully I can help you get that right now, right? Because this, this changes everything about us, everything. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, I prayed a prayer at church camp one time. It means I do all, um, I, you know, I obey the golden rule. To be a Christian means you were bought by God. Jesus owns us. And if you know what that means, you'll see, you'll get it, why it's good news. And if you want to read, you read some old school martyrs. (laughs) Guys that were burned at the stake for their faith. That went out seeing, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. As the flames engulfed them. See, they get it. They, I know what we would do in our society. Oh, you know what? I'll just say I'm not a Christian. And then when he walks away, I'll go, I was lying. I'm a Christian. Right? Like, I, I will never die for my faith. I'll just lie about it. Say I'm not a Christian. And then later, I'll repent. Jesus, forgive me. He's good like that. That's the way we think. So listen, if we're going to understand, what does it mean to be a slave to Christ? What does it mean? Let's, I'm going to look at a couple things. Number one, what did it cost Jesus to buy us? Look, it didn't cost him a day's wage. He didn't get us on markdown, right? We cost Jesus his life. We cost God his son. That was the price. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. If you know anything, if you ever see paintings or you ever hear of cars, you hear of things that are invaluable. What that means really is the cost paid for something the cost willing to be paid for something determines its value. Can I just tell you? I'm going to free you from some, some American dream here. You weren't worth it. I wasn't worth it. Jesus' life was far more precious and valuable than all of sinful humanity combined. Jesus, I don't care what your Sunday school teacher said or your mama, Jesus didn't die for us because you were worth it and you were valuable. And he looked down and he saw his long lost precious treasure. Oh, that's what will make me complete. I need her. You're so valuable to me. No, 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 no. 
The cost paid makes us valuable. His death makes us valuable. The cost paid creates our value. Precious blood of the sinless Son of God. And listen to this. When we get all, ooh, a slave of Christ? A slave? Listen, most slaves, most slave owners, most masters are brutal. Your inner ring? Here, this, this illustration won't get out of my head, and it's so juvenile, but I can't help it. Go watch the movie Mean Girls. Okay? That's the inner ring, and just look how brutal if you don't earn it, if you can't get in, if you fail. Look how brutal they are if you fail them. That's the inner ring. See, that's a slave master. Brutal. You fail them, they crush you. They chew you up, they spit you out. Jesus is the only slave master in the history of the world who dies for those who consistently and constantly fail him. Who's your slave master? Is it your boss? Is it your wife? Is it your kids? Who's the inner ring? What do they do when you fail them? But what happens when we fail Jesus? Jesus is the only master who reigns with grace. Listen, he bought us on the auction block. Can you imagine going to the auction to buy a slave? This is going to be a pretty gruesome illustration. But it just came to me, and I'm going to say it anyway. So anyways, you go to buy, and there's a, and there's a pile of, Dead slaves over here and all the other slaves, big strapping. If you watch the movie Gladiator, right, they come up, they're, they're jacked, and they're looking, you're like, yes, I want that guy. But Jesus comes up, and he looks across the crowd, and he sees a pile of dead ones, and he says, yeah, I want these. And I'll pay my blood, I'll, I'll pay, pay my life for these dead, worthless, good-for-nothing slaves. See, he bought us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. That means we were broke when he bought us. So when we fail him, it doesn't surprise him. Like, it's like this. You guys seen Back to the Future? Let's just use that for an example. Okay, you go to buy a car, right? You get a Carfax report, what's it show? It shows its history. That's pretty good. That's helpful. But what if you could talk to like a guy like Marty McFly and say, hey, bro, uh, what's this car going to do in the future? Can you tell me every single thing that's going to go ever go wrong with this car in the future? Can you tell me that? And Marty McFly gives you the future Carfax report. Here's what's going to happen every single day of this car's existence. When it's going to break down, when it's going to need an oil change. And you look at that and go, okay, I see all the mistakes. I see everything it's going to take to fix this thing. I see everything it's going to take to own this. I will buy this car now with a complete understanding of everything that's going to happen. That changes the way you buy a car, right? That is how Jesus Christ bought us. He knows everything about us. He knows what's assigned to us. He knows what we've been called to. He knows every way we're going to sin in the future. And Christ bought us with full knowledge of how we're going to fail him. Jesus knows our frame. 
What does that mean for us, Justin? What does that mean? It means this. God has assigned to us a life and our value is not determined by our usefulness to him or our moral achievements. Our value comes from the cross. Our value comes from the the price paid for us, Jesus Christ. Now, what does that do? When you realize that, this realization makes a person's identity so secure that they can enjoy the life that the Lord has assigned to him. I don't have anything to prove. I don't have any inner ring to work myself into. Jesus Christ has already bought me. And when he stood on the auction block and he bought this dead slave, Justin Dean, he brought him into the inner ring with his own precious blood, the inner ring of the Trinity, the inner ring of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that I'm in and nothing I can do can get me out. I was dead. What did I do to get into the inner ring? Nothing. I was bought. So there's nothing I can ever do to get out of the inner ring. Christ purchased me. God effectually called me. He brought me into the inner ring. I've been brought into the Trinity. Nothing I can do. Nothing I can do to get myself out of it. He paid the bill. Nothing I can do can change my status. God is happy with me. God is satisfied with me because of Jesus. Only in Christianity listen, all other masters, everything else we give ourselves to, all the other inner rings cause me to constantly judge myself. How am I doing? How am I doing? Am I doing well? Am I doing good? Am I staying in the good graces? Do they like me? Do they like me? Am I doing enough to get in? Am I doing enough to stay in in the good graces of the inner ring? Only in Christianity. Listen, is that your reality with Christianity? Is that how you feel with God? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Is he happy with me today? Is he like me today? Am I good enough? Am I doing enough to stay in? If that is, you don't understand what happened on the auction block. You don't understand what happened in salvation, that you're coming to him with an outward, without trying to judge You know, if he accepts you by something on the outward, that's religion. Only in Christianity do we get judged not on our work, but on Jesus' finished work on the cross. Jesus bought us. He paid for us to be brought in to the Trinity. He paid the bill so nothing I can do can change my status. And I'm going to tell you, when you understand that, I'm saying understand But what I really mean is something to do with head and heart and you get it. Many of us might say, yeah, 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 I get that. But we don't get it here because we still feel like we're on the treadmill having to work my way into the inner ring or having to keep myself in the inner ring. But when you understand this, it changes everything about us. Listen, I hope it does shock. True, true Christianity is not about adding Jesus to your life. It's, 
about realizing what he's done. Seeing the price that he paid to purchase us and then devoting ourselves completely to him. Submitting 100% wholly to his will and seeking to please him above all else. In other words, being a Christian means being Christ's slave. I know that you're going to have to serve somebody. You're a slave to somebody right now. Some group of people, something you own, you're a slave. Jesus Christ is the only master who dies for those who fail him. You were bought with a price. Where where are you at right now? What's the inner ring you're trying to get into? You were a slave. We're a slave to the inner ring. We're a slave to all these other masters. But if you recognize what happened that day on that auction block, and many of you, maybe there's people in this room today, right now, that Jesus Christ is on the auction block for you right now. That he's calling you right now. Saying, I bought you with my precious blood. And what happens is, when we believe that, when we put our faith in that, we are saved. We are changed. We get a whole new identity. He doesn't make us earn it. He doesn't look at the dead slaves in the corner and say, let me see the muscles. Let me see how useful you're going to be to me. Purchases us. He purchased us when we were dead. Ellison, why? Because it's not about us. It's about him. Who gets the glory when salvation is come forth, Lazarus? Does everybody go, Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus? Everybody says, whoa. Jesus is Lord. He's the master. He can speak to dead people and make them come forth. That's what happens. If you're a believer in here, we should say, whoa. You didn't choose him, Jesus said. He chose you. John says, you didn't love him first, he loved you first. And because he loved you first, then you loved him. This is what it means to be saved by grace alone. Right? Christ alone by faith alone. This is what it means. What have you contributed to your salvation? Nothing. Father. Shocking. A little disturbing. We realize that a slave of Christ isn't our only identity as, as believers in Christ. 
crazy thing is later you call us sons and daughters. But you put this in your word for something very specific. And it's still true about us. We were slaves to other masters and if we are in Christ, we have been bought and now we are a slave to you. And true freedom is found under this good master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you just take that from our head and put it in our heart? Would you effectually call those in this room today? Would you give them the faith to believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ? And those of us who are struggling to live out this identity, to bring clarity to us. I'm, I'm actually going to stop praying and I want to say one thing. If you're a Christian, maybe you've been around here for a while and you've heard this kind of identity language before and you're, and you're saying, Justin, if I've been set free from sin, if I've been set free from the slavery of the inner ring and I have a new slave owner and a new master, Jesus Christ, why do I still want to please them? Why do I still try to earn my way in? Why do I still go back to trying to make God happy by legalistic things and doing all these things. It's like this. Listen. When the slaves were emancipated in the United States, right? That the first day of their freedom, it wasn't like they they knew how to live like free men. If their boss would have walked up to them, walked up to them, their owner and said, "Go pick that cotton." They've been obeying they're masters for 30, 40 years. Doesn't matter what Lincoln says, right? Go pick that cotton. They're going to go do it. Why? They're so ingrained. That identity has shaped them so deeply. It's going to take, it's not even going to take years. It's going to take generations to work that slavery out of them. It's the same for us. It's the same for us. You've been removed, sin, you've been cut off. The power of sin in you has been broken if you're in Christ. The penalty for sin has been dealt with. It's been put on Christ. But the presence of sin is still there. And we can still hear that old slave master. We can still hear Satan whisper to us, get in that inner ring, that'll make you happy. Go get in that inner ring, that'll make you happy. That's what sanctification is. It's learning to live under a new master. A gracious master. A master who's died for us. Father, I continue my prayer. Thank you for your son. Thank you for purchasing us. I pray the reality of our salvation would become more real to us. We feel it. We believe it. We'd be changed into the image of your likeness. We'd come to live under the new master of Christ. We'd listen less and less and less the old master. Do this for your glory. Do this so those who are saved would say, it wasn't me. I didn't have anything to do with it. You didn't save me because I'm a good person. All glory to God alone. I thank you for your word. As we come to your table this morning, would you feed us As your slaves, we're dependent upon you. Feed us with your body. It gives nourishment to us. 
gives salvation to us, feed us with your blood, washes away all sin and shame. We thank you for the Lord's table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.